0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to the Human Predator Pack Mule Podcast. As always, it's Todd. How you doing Uh, today? Well, on this episode, I don't know what day you're listening to. On this episode, I'm joined by my good friend Adam Willis, who is a strength coach in the UK. He mostly trains women, and I wanted to have him on because I've been seeing some bullshit in the hunting fitness industry lately about how women need women specific programs and men need men specific programs and uh, well, it's just not true, and I wanted to have Adam on to talk about the realities of training women, both from you know a physiological standpoint and also the details of psychologically training women, just so you guys had a, a realistic view on how this is done well by somebody that does this uh, day in and day out and has for years. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on my friend Adam. Here you go. Adam, you big limey bastard! Welcome to the show. welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you doing this.
1: No, I appreciate coming on. Uh, I always give you a really nice intro, and you give me that one.
0: So. <laughs> no, I'm gonna do. I'll do a nice one for the actual intro of the podcast. Why don't you just do your own intro right now? How about that?
1: Oh man, well I'm at that stage now whereby I used to say that I was a strength conditioning coach, personal trainer, but now I'm a father. I go with father, husband strength conditioning coach, personal trainer. Uh, I live in kind of the northeast of England. And uh, yeah, I pretty much spend my days training mostly most clients online. We obviously, we're going to get into female training. I'd say 95% of my client base is female. I currently have probably just over 50 females uh, that I, I program for in some way, shape, or form.
0: I didn't uh, even know you had male clients. I
1: have a handful.
0: Okay.
1: A handful, yeah. I'm not... It's weird, I wasn't necessarily, I didn't pitch myself as a as a, uh, a trainer of females, they just kind of gravitated towards me, and yeah, so the males that I have are kind of through a lot of the females that I train as well, so oh. yeah, I maybe have five or six male clients, and yeah, probably around about 50 to 55 females at the moment.
0: So you kind of, so one of the first things I wanted to do was talk about the elephant in the room is why are these two dudes talking about training women and what do we know because we have outdoor plumbing but uh the reality is well your career is mostly training women right now and my career was built on training women because I started off with uh female athletic teams uh uh training softball and lacrosse and so uh I, I wanted to make sure that we addressed that early on because I think people sit there and say well what are these two meat sticks know about women not women you know but you know we've spent significant portions of our careers helping women and now you far more than me and that's why i wanted to talk to you about about this today you know
1: yeah i mean it's you know it's something that it took me a while to kind of acknowledge really and that's like i I needed to know more about female training particularly obviously things like the menstrual cycle and other elements that they they go through is just like you it's one of those populations that i i had and it's like you know it's great as a coach and a trainer and then you yeah you do have to start to get to understand them psychologically physiologically and 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 address their needs and even from a coaching standpoint like the coaching style that you have is it there's some to some degree will be different to what you do with males as well and uh i think you just as a, as a male, you kind of, you have to upskill yourself to be able to to deal with a female client as best as you can. Because like you said, we we can't experience it firsthand, but we can sure. have a better understanding.
0: Well, I wanna, I think you made a good point because we should parse out the difference between, because my main point is training them like program wise and physiologically is not gonna be all that different for males. You're gonna take some things into account, but for the most part, it's not. But you bring up a good point. We should parse out the psychological aspect of training females from the physiological aspect of training females, and then talk about both of them because there is difference. So let's let's go, uh, I want you to talk about those studies too that you mentioned before, but we can do that when we get to the physiological part. So let's talk about the psychological part first. And wait, before we do that, let's qualify things. What do you typically train women for?
1: Uh, typically I'm training them to, to get stronger, um, to look good naked. And a lot of them wanna have a, a level of conditioning or fitness really, okay. for the most part. I have some that do, they, that's kind of where the, the middle grade, where the majority sit. Then I have the outliers. I have a, a, a master's world champion powerlifter. I have people that do ridiculous endurance events. So there's a spectrum there, but the majority are, you know, get stronger, look good naked and be, you know, feel conditioned or, you know, fit to task, whatever that might be for themselves. So
0: what most people want, and you still accomplish it by going across the spectrum to the very strength specific to the very endurance specific. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So let's talk about the psychological stuff first.
1: Sure. Um, It's one of those things that I think with we we're talking coaching about like the softer skills. Yep. And, I, and I think that's, we, we definitely need that more with females, whether that's how we interact with them, how we approach certain topics, conversations. Um, I've always found that, you know, that from, a, from a, the psychological aspect for females in, in, in particular is like there's a, a confidence issue or a level of intimidation with the training side of things. Whereas males, they're kind of the opposite. They have their ego, which drives them through, and they need to be reined back. Sure. So, starting from that place is always where I you know, we talk a lot about strength factors, like meeting people where they're at, and that's where I try and find like where is their current confidence levels at? Where are they? Where do they feel good about their training? Where are they uh, not so confident? And obviously, work on those as you know as well as build that up. But I, I think. Um, there is more of an emotional attachment. Not so much with training, certainly more so with nutrition that, that females have. And then there's obviously uh, emotional hormonal differences that happen due to due the monthly cycle as well. So it's definitely something that I think I probably have to deal with a little bit more than male clients. Sure. And, I, and I think that's purely because males don't necessarily want to come to you with that or show that.
0: They Whereas don't like being can- vulnerable. No, yeah,
1: no. And I think, yeah, women, uh, female clients, they, they don't mind being more vulnerable about it.
0: Um, so what I think would be funny about that. and I want to get back to this, but so think about it this way, because, well, no one knows what you look like, because obviously we're recording this. Uh, this is going to be audio, but you're what, 6'6 six, six or 6'7? Six, yeah, 6'7. Yeah, you're 6'7. Uh, you're a strong dude. Um, you're an athletic looking dude. And so from a male perspective, the last thing I think most guys want to do is come to their coach that looks like a fucking gargantuan and be vulnerable to that guy, even though that you have the conversational skills to be able to have that kind of conversation with people. Whereas, and this is just me pulling shit out of my ass. So let's be honest about that. But like if I, but I think there's, I think this might be speculation that actually holds a level of truth. But if you look differently, if you were a smaller guy or it just had maybe more of an effeminate appearance, guys might be more comfortable coming to you and being a little bit more vulnerable sometimes. But as you being this gigantic guy that's trained strongman and done all the things that you do, you know, I think sometimes that makes it tough for dudes to come to their coach that is like, man, my coach is kind of a monster and, and from a physical sense, not a psychological sense. And it makes it difficult to have that conversation sometimes, I think.
1: Yeah, I think with the male clients that I do have, I've kind of met them on a different level.
0: Yeah.
1: So I have a, a client in Germany and we both have things like the guitar in common. And he finds sure. a lot of what I do with my habits and with kind of I have placed with my wife. Another thing like more about my personal life, he's kind of related on that. And that kind of helped us break down some barriers, but he's very comfortable talking to me about training.
0: Okay, yeah, good. So I think
1: that kind of helped. And I have a... A fourteen-year-old national-level sw- uh, swimmer, who, again, very, very different in terms of age and things, but because they played sport to a higher level, we have that in common. Right. And I, and I think sometimes you have to find more of these commonalities that, from that, are, that, set your appearance aside. So it's like, okay, this, I'm not as intimidating now because I'm relatable.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think that uh, I just think that the a lot of times the initial thing, and for most guys, uh, you know, they just they have a hard time lowering their guard and saying, uh, and I guess it depends on the the type of person that you're training. You know, uh, I don't think the guys that come to my gym have that kind of problem because they're just a different psychologically then. But I think a lot of guys that they're, they don't want to look weak. And I think that just speaks your to your illustration. And and um, it's just something that we have to, we have to keep into account, but I don't, I, I agree. I don't think that's the case with them. They just want to feel stronger and they want to know how to do that.
1: Yeah. And, and that's one of the questions that I know when when, when a female approaches me saying that they they want to get stronger. And I, you know, I've kind of asked the question, is it is it a numbers based thing? You know, do you want to be able to squat X amount? Is it more of a an emotional feeling? Or is it more of a they just want to be able to seeing yourself progressively getting stronger? And usually it's the, the last two. It's you know, they, they sure they want to see themselves getting stronger, but emotionally to feel strong. Just that, that attachment to physically knowing that they can do a task leads to that confidence to then kind of emotionally feel strong.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We, we have, uh, we have, you know, you, have you been to, have you been to the new gym or are you just at the old gym? Just the old one. Okay. So we still have those, we have these big tires, these big tractor tires. And one of them's like, one of them's only a couple hundred pounds, but the other one's like 700 some pounds. And there's like three of us that can flip the big tire chris actually happens to be one of them believe it or not and uh i hope he listens to this uh but the the women see those tires and they saw you know they'll see another woman flip the small tire we don't we don't have any women that can flip the big tire are there women in the world that can flip the big tire of course but those those are few and far between um but they see other women flipping that tire and then they that becomes their dragon and then that is the thing that they aim at and they, they feel really empowered by being able to do that. So I think that's a really important point of how much just feeling physically capable changes the way that, that they approach their lives.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I saw a well-known coaching, they'll see the in the U S post about kind of how useless say like chin-ups and put-ups are as a, as a training, uh, a training exercise. and like, most of my females that for them that's like when they achieve their first chin up that's the the first real confidence boost that they get on the way to to, to being stronger or that that confidence in i'm strong or having strength and yeah just those little those little landmarks and i i encourage them with females and i and i not that i discourage them with males but males will grind themselves into the ground like trying to get a you know a two twenty-five bench press or, or you know, trying to pull five hundred. They'll they'll grind themselves down to that. Whereas having a female being able to strive for like, okay, these are almost like levels to this and they seem to thrive much more on that.
0: Well, they buy into it. That's the one thing yeah. that I've I've always uh So with human predator pack meal client, I'll say that this is this is not the case for human protocol packing with clients. And I'll come back and talk about why I think that is, but most males do not listen when it comes to training as well as females do. It is oftentimes nicer to train a woman than it is to train a, a man because they just listen. They just, I don't know what it is. They just have more implicit trust. And I'm, I'm talking about when I was 20 years old training, the women's lacrosse team and women's softball team at my school, I was in class with these girls every day. Like I would see them in class and then we would go train afterwards and they would still listen better than dudes. And then I started picking up some of the basketball players and stuff. And I just trained them on the side as like my own little thing. And they they listen pretty well, but it's just, there's always been, for me, it's just women always seem to listen better than dudes in most instances now human predator pack meal clients they're a very specific bunch like they have something very specific that they want to do they have other experience with other training modalities and they're like man that didn't do what i thought it was going to do and then they come to to this with a little bit different level of trust but it's women just they tend to listen better than guys when it comes to
1: training Mm. and and i think the other thing is they they're also willing to ask questions Questions. yep example i've always given is like men don't want to pull over and ask for directions. So why would they want to ask questions in an even more masculine and like testosterone exactly. environment like a gym, whereby the like, you know, females will do that? I think yeah, the other thing, I mean, males, yeah, we typically, as we both know, you kind of have to rein them in. Females, I'll do certain clients I have that, again, it's a confidence thing. You need to give them a nudge. You need to almost give them a training method or a rep and set scheme that forces them or to or that proves to them they're capable yep. in some instances uh you know if i've got a, a female client that's concerned about progressing load i, I may use a more of a, a staggered rep scheme. i might go 10 reps eight reps six reps across those three sets knowing that okay now like psychologically you have to add weight to the bar yeah rather than just sitting okay i've kind of found what i feel comfortable at. i'm going to sit here and Whereas males, we're likely going. Okay, we need to take a little bit off that bar there and just kind of rein that back in. But yeah, females, females will listen. They'll understand. I think we know the importance of being, you know, patient and somewhat submaximal with training.
0: Yeah,
1: and I and I think females, intuitively, tend to do that more. So I, I think that's a uh, you know, it tends to align well with especially yours and mine training uh, ethos for the most part.
0: Yeah, it's, it's true. I, I, I can only count. I mean, geez. I can think of sincerely two women in my entire career where I've had to be, I've had to say, Hey, you need to, you need to tone it down a little bit. Whereas most of them do find a nice sweet spot or you have to just, you have to push them a little bit harder because they just don't have the context to, to say, what uh an rpe feels like so you know with yeah. i think that you use it too but with human predator meal clients we use the rpe scale and they've never experienced a 10 so maximum effort they don't know what it feels like so to kind of help guide them in that process takes a little bit of time whereas dudes we've just done so much stupid shit through our entire lives we know what that feels like a lot of the time so but we don't we don't shy away from it until sometimes it's it's too late and i know that that was the case for me where i would just ended up getting hurt and doing stupid shit and i was like well okay now i have to listen but um it'd be nice if we didn't have to get to that point before we listen but i think women just they listen a lot sooner for whatever reason that is it's it just seems to be the case
1: yeah yeah i I think the other thing was what i've noticed much with my clients there is often more of a psychological barrier or attachment to the numeric value on the bar
0: hmm.
1: they're very conscious what 135 pounds means contextually compared to themselves oh have, okay with, you know what I mean like so I think with, yeah. with, with male clients we, we don't we have often males will have targets they want to get a 225 bench or a 500 pound deadlift but they're not so and this is why I kind of like most of the females I deal with are. Uh, they've got maybe 18 months to three years worth of training experience so i'm still getting them pretty new pretty fresh which is great because a lot of those they don't have that uh attachment yet to the number on the barbell it's just i keep adding a little bit they haven't gone well hang on like 135 pounds is what i weigh they haven't had that that moment where they do it all like okay this is now 100 you know 1.5 times my body weight and that becomes a psychological barrier that they have to overcome. Of like, well, this is this is significant compared to my own body weight. Whereas I don't think males have that as much.
0: I agree. I agree. I, you know, what I I wasn't consciously thinking about that, but now that you bring it up, absolutely, that's absolutely true. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's absolutely true.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a it's a strange one, but it's just like I said, I'm I'm quite lucky that I kind of curse a little bit when i have those moments and they suddenly i can sense they're becoming aware of how much they're lifting rather than just it's almost like you want that kind of the uh, being blindfolded when the bar's being loaded so you got no idea what's on there yeah but uh, there's yeah there's there's often a point whereby like i said and it's i think it often occurs around when it's more in relation to their body weight yeah like, load on the bar becomes significant to their body weight is there's sometimes that barrier
0: i think that's Uh, a really good point for celebration though too it's like you literally just lifted what you weigh or drawing um drawing uh contextual connections between things that they do in their everyday lives and how much that dumbbell weighs and stuff like that it's like man you carry groceries heavier than that you can lift you know what i mean so and just being able to give them the context of, of what this means because you know from a lot of them they're approaching a world that unless they were trained when they were younger or grew up playing sports that they're just in a world that is going to feel foreign to them regardless. So any little bit of level of threat is going to keep them from expressing themselves as fully physically as, as they might. So I think it's important to draw those contexts and to really, I mean, do you do anything from like a, an educational or I guess or an indoctrinational standpoint, I put up air quotes when I said that, to, to help people, to help women understand that as they approach some of these things, these psychological things might be happening where it's like, oh, when you get close to lifting your body weight in this lift or anything like that, is there a way that you address that?
1: Um, occasionally there is, you know, and it's why I think that there's value on, off the online coach for the most part, they're sending me videos right so like they, they're getting constant feedback from me as they would be from from you know you guys in the gym of they like, you know, form and that's where a lot of females hang up on is like worry about injury like is my fault and as long as you're reinforcing that and that's you know feeling and looking good then they're usually okay if i start to see more of a uh a mental barrier like um one of my clients recently was kind of getting into some kettlebell work we're working on some snatches and just her technique is really good, but she doesn't see it as perfect. And she hit this barrier, and you could just see this steady decline where it was almost like every week she was banging her head against the wall, just searching for this perfect. Um, and often what I'll do is, you know, same but different type lift, take it out and give that a break. Or I've done it with deadlifting in the past. If there seems to be a barrier with, say, you know, straight bar pull from the floor, I'll I'll switch almost exclusively to, like, Romanian deadlifts. And we'll really push those, and females will really push an RDL more so than they will a deadlift. And there comes a point, and the question always happens: like Adam, how how much more should I be at a deadlift compared to what I can remain in a deadlift? And what's happened is they push their RDL number because they've got confidence in that lift so close to their deadlift that I can now have this conversation: I'm like, well, you know, you probably should be at a deadlift this X amount much more then we switch back to deadlifting and suddenly their confidence is there because they've seen another lift that they can kind of relate to. Like, okay, well, if I'm really strong here. I should be this amount stronger in the other lift. So, yeah, I mean, encouraging from the standpoint of, you know, educating them and, and uh, and being there to support their technique, but yeah, if there's any barriers or, or, um, just kind of mental barriers with, with lifts, I'll yeah, same, but different or I'll find different ways or we'll switch out for a phase. And then we'll bring the other lift back, and often that just seems to that break from it just seems to help sail past any barrier that's there. Hmm.
0: Is there any? Do you ever set any expectations about stuff like that? Whereas, like, hey, if you're about a you know, let's say you're starting to train a new a new woman, and. I don't know if there's any kind of information that you put out or something like that, where it's like these, you can expect to feel this way when you get to here, or these are the typical things that we see as you start to make this kind of progression to kind of negate the, um, negate some of the hangups.
1: Um, it's nothing that I necessarily put out there, but I mean, I'm, I'm talking to my clients every week as well. So I'm getting a lot of feedback from them, um, on, on those levels. So. For me, what I'm going to be making sure is like they, they understand whether, you know, the progression or regression that we're doing, where the, where the vision's taking them. Sure. I think a lot of times as males, uh, you know, you have kind of your, um, what, why, how
0: people, and I, I yeah, think, I was going to yeah. bring
1: it up. So I think like a lot of, a lot of males will just kind of, they just want to train. They just kind of get going with it. They don't necessarily need to see the vision. Whereas a lot of it with females again it comes back to buy-in. I'm like, okay, we're doing X, Y, so that we can achieve Z, and that's this is where I kind of see that. You know, I had a, a a lady, she was nine months postpartum. She really wanted to achieve a chin up. I'm like, well, I'm confident we can get it before the. And this was kind of uh, September time. I was like, I'm confident before we we can get it before the end of the year. And uh, this is what we're gonna do. These are the steps. You know, we're going to take you from a five-second eccentric chin-up to a 10-second eccentric. When we get to that point, if you we're going to test. If you can't achieve that that chin-up there, we're going to have you do those 10-second eccentrics with a med ball or something between your knees to increase the load. And then we're going to have you test again. And then about a week before New Year, she hits her first chin-up because she had confidence and belief in, okay, I do this, I do this, and I do this, and the outcome happens. So I think that often is where where that needs to be and you know with, with the what why and how yeah some people don't need to hear it but for the most part I have some females that think they're what's but they're really wise oh really, <laughs> yeah. really? um and, and and you know some of hows but I, I think that's yeah for the most part that they're wise and hows I, I very rarely find a female that's a that's a what unless they compete in something mm. in which case it's the, the training is secondary in the the example of hunting the training is secondary it's a general physical preparedness for a task or you know a date absolutely uh, yeah i think in that regard that's that's often where i see the difference like the what people are just like okay this is what i do to achieve x somewhere else Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think just laying out the process can help let's
0: do a quick and i'm gonna make you do it let's do uh a quick so everybody knows what we're talking about because I don't think everybody. Well, I know uh, most of the folks that listen to this haven't read my book about uh, coaching and they haven't been in strength faction. So, what does what does what what are the what why and how client archetypes, Adam?
1: Oh man, it's are on the spot. So the, I did the, do that, the, didn't I? The, the what people are essentially just tell me what to do and I'll run through a wall for you. Yep. The the why people they they need to know a little bit more about why they're doing things to have an understanding. Okay. Uh, and to buy in. To kind of get the most out of them uh i think the how people you say the ones that need a hug they need hug to know people, how, yeah. how they are uh, accepted or appreciated in their in the environment they're in before yep. you can get the most out of them
0: yep that's pretty much it well there done man well <laughs> done let's uh let's switch gears let's talk about let's talk about uh the physiological aspects of training women and how they are and are not different preface being that they're mostly not so <laughs> Let's because I've, I've, yeah. I mean, because the impetus for this was to mostly talk about this back aspect of things, because, um, you know, you see just in the general fitness realm, you see a bunch of bullshit about you need a female specific training thing. And now all of these there's programs coming out in the hunting space that are like, here's the program for women and here's the program for men. And it's total bullshit. And I just I wanted to have a conversation about that to at least put something out there to say like no this is not how things work and listen to uh listen to an expert coach that actually knows what they're doing so that's why that's why we're here mostly so that the conversation we just had was a bonus but I want to talk about this man.
1: Yeah I mean where do you 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 want to start you hit the nail head there. There there are no female exercises there are no male exercises. Uh for the for the most part the programming that I do is fairly similar male to female. There there are some some subtle differences between that, but as, as we spoke about before coming on, I think I had Greg Knuckles on my podcast and we, we spoke about differences, male and female. And he said, uh, he's, he's extensively looked at the research for this. And the main physiological differences between male and female are in grip and neck and strength of neck. Hmm. So the, the two areas that the females that, don't really come to me and ask for they don't i've never had a female say i want a really strong grip and a thick neck
0: um <laughs> it'd be amazing if she did though. <laughs> that'd be awesome
1: yeah anyone listening who wants to work me please please tell me that um <laughs> but that, that's the, the thing is like that that's physiologically where the 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 biggest difference the discrepancies are between the two and the only reason the grip will work it will improve through things that we we're already going to program anyway you know, deadlifts, rack pulls, swings, you know, we're gonna do farmer walks, all these other elements. So the grip's gonna be worked on through the training anyway. So it, right. it's not something that's kind of ignored. The next side of things, when they look at it, that's only gonna be really important if you're playing a collision sport or fighting as a female. You know, so it's, it's not that relevant. So the, the two pieces there, one's gonna be worked on and the other one, and, unless I'm dealing with a, a fighter or uh, you know, a female rugby player, the, it's not really going to be a factor that their neck needs to be to be stronger um in that regard and they're going to get some of that anyway from again deadlifting, from doing the farmer walks sure, or the, the neck's going to get stronger there so it's looking at this contextually now the only there are differences when we kind of come to dealing with the with the menstrual cycle but in terms of programming Male or female, there's going to be differences in the, the tolerance to, to volume that they can handle so how much work they can do in a session. That's not difference male to female. That's difference across males and females.
0: Yeah, Individual to individual.
1: Yeah, I mean, the main difference between the two is because some of what I do is aesthetic-based, is those aesthetics. Like, I'm not I'm not giving guys a ton of glute work. Right. They're okay with, with their ass being good doing deadlifts and squats. <laughs> Women are getting a little bit of extra work because that's important to them. A lot of women I train don't want to do direct arm work. Guys love a, a little bit of fat, a fat boy Friday. They like they like getting the the biceps pumped.
0: Yeah,
1: and those are kind of where those those programming differences are. I mean, you know, you can look. Some females handle. They, and again, you and I use RPE, so it's it's largely irrelevant in what we do. But you know, a lot of females can handle some a certain percentage compared to their one RM for higher reps than a male can. You know, we might see that if we were doing like a, a max rep set or an AMRAP money set, or whatever you want to call it, but we're not really going to be programming that, that complexity in. It's just something that's often shown between males and females. So there isn't that, that much physiologically that's going to be different in that, in that regard. Um, I think there could be some, some sort of, you know, some deficiencies in power. But again, I think that's built more from childhood, whereby boys tend to, and, and, and some of like things like chin ups and pull ups, we tend to sprint, jump, and pull ourselves up and onto things and get ourselves in all sorts of trouble as a child and, and play sorts of, and some sports. Um, females, not so much. So again, it's not differences male to female. It's just looking at this and going, okay, there's just some, some subtle differences between the two based on know childhood training but then you can have a female that did track and field and other sports at school and she'll be just fine
0: right so I, I think the 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 biggest thing to summarize there is you don't really have to train them differently <laughs> you don't that that's they don't really have i mean i think if you're looking at anything you look at the outcome you're trying to produce and where the individual is in relation to that outcome whether they're plumbing's indoor or outdoor it doesn't matter all that much. Is where's the person in relation to where they want to be?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, whether we're going to use some sort of testing for that to look at, okay, where's your where's your power, power, endurance, strength, and conditioning for whatever you know purpose you have. That's where you're then maybe going to bias a program towards. But that's the same for males or females. And yeah, if you if you see one area is slightly lower than where you may think uh, baseline is for most people, you're going to bring that up. But yeah, for the most part, you know, I'm not selecting certain squat variations for females and others for males. I'm not giving this program over here to a male and that to a female just because, you know, like you said, one's got outdoor plumbing and one hasn't. Like, there isn't that much of a difference. So, you know, spoiler alert. It's uh, the, uh, you know, you have those ones. I mean, the other one that's is... uh, that gets paired out there a lot is fat loss training programs there's no such thing as a fat loss training program there's no such thing as a female only training program no, i have right. female only group coaching programs because it's only females allowed on it but the program itself would work for males as well i yeah. just choose to have the population right the key.
0: there it is <laughs> well i think we should i think we should i think we should mention uh maybe a little bit about the one thing that is a difference and that is the menstrual cycle and some things that you do during, you know, the luteal phase and the late luteal phase that might have to change because of where they are in their, in in that progression throughout the month.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm going to caveat this with, it's something that I discuss with all my clients. However, only very few are affected. Yeah. and The ones that often see more significant, um, issues are often those that are in a calorie deficit as well. People at maintenance to things because when we look at like the female triad with, with stress and, and body fat percentage and training, that it tends to be affected on that side of things. So the first thing I'm gonna have a female client do, uh, first question I'm gonna ask you is like, one, are you, you, are you having a regular menstrual cycle? And then are you tracking it? And this is where one of the things that females don't know yes or no to that answer because they don't track their own cycle and a lot of them don't track the training before they come on board. So they don't know when their cycle begins and ends really in terms of date. And they can't then compare that to the training data that they have. You need those two things and you probably need to have done at least a couple of months to be able to see if there's going to be any differences. Now, the first probably five days of your cycle obviously when uh, menstrual bleeding starts When that happens, like this is that and maybe a few days prior to that is where some females may see a decrease in strength and they may see a decrease in or or feel they're a bit more gassed if they do conditioning work. The only way to tell that is if you're tracking your strength or like relative to RPE as well, so like level of exertion. And then perhaps from the training side, from like the conditioning elements, knowing the effort you can... You know, the output you can do or the the heart rate you typically work at or your recovery between intervals for instance you have to have this data to be able to see and then after those so the the first 14 days of a cycle is a it's called the uh, the follicular phase so when you when you have that there so some women will see a little bit of a they'll see a reduction and then they'll see more of a baseline and then potential to to slightly increase in those last two weeks of the cycle. But again, it's it's subtle and it's not something that I have to program every time for females. It's only a handful that I currently train that are impacted by this piece. And then what we do really is we look at this and go, okay, there's a regular pattern here. You regularly see a strength decrease during that first week of your cycle. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna give you uh, if we see a strength decrease, we're going to give them a bit of a deload. So that would be almost like their fourth week. We line the, site, the training up, so that's the week four, they'll have a deload. If we see that they just struggle to handle the volume, so the amount of work, but their strength stays consistent, we'll do like a PR and go home week, which obviously I, I learned through you guys and you guys learned through Dan John. Um, and that's whereby, okay, the volume's going to drop, so the amount of sets you do is going to drop down, but you can push strength-wise on that. And then from the conditioning element, what I might do if they're struggling with like harder intervals, we may just go to cardiac output that week. So we still get some quality conditioning in that's actually a bit more restorative, but isn't so uh, stress-inducing that that then may carry on into the next week. So really, those are going to be the differences, but it starts with tracking your training and tracking your cycle. Uh, The app that I typically recommend is, uh, is Clue. And you can simply track that in there, and it will start to kind of give you almost like alerts of where you are in that cycle. And again, it's something that you may see impacts you every month. It may be something that you see impacts you, like I found with some people that when they're in a deficit, when they're in a calorie deficit, losing weight. And you know, if it's more intermittent, then we'll just auto-regulate at the time, and I'll get, I'll teach the clients how to do that based upon what they're feeling that day. But ultimately, that that's where the biggest difference is. But again, the impact is. You know, I could write fifty training programs. I'm maybe going to have to adjust five
0: yeah.
1: in those fifty. So it doesn't need a huge amount, a huge amount of change. So um, it's something that has to be considered. And 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 the one piece I haven't touched on is the psychological impact of uh, menstrual bleeding, or knowing that you're. So some females will psychologically feel weaker at that time, which they can do. There's, I think there was one study that I read that females can feel, I um, want a better phrase, like unclean because they know they're bleeding, mm. which when you're going into a training environment, that can, that can impact that. So you're going in already kind of feeling tired or a bit bloated, maybe, you know, retaining some water and some cramps or anything like you start to feel. And then, and then there's also a, uh, they have a lower tolerance to pain, during that time, which is often what affects the RPE side oh, of yeah. Yeah. And then what affects the conditioning side of things is a slight increase in body temperature, which is why sleep can sometimes be affected at that time due to, to hormonal release. <laughs> so those are really the kind of thing that that, that that, maybe two to three days out from mental bleeding starting and those first five days of the cycle, that's really where you're going to see potentially the most impact. The other three weeks are usually going to be uh, okay. That first week after, uh, the, so, so the second week of the cycle is more of a baseline whereby things are returning to normal. And then those last two weeks, you're often able to kind of push a little bit more. So that's what go. our focus is. I will try and push in that those last two weeks if we can.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. That's it. It's usually not <laughs> that big of a deal.
1: No. And it's one of the things I I, I know all that and I can say all that and I have to have it in my arsenal for the the five out of 50 people that I have to make that adjustment for. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's but it it starts tracking because if you don't know that you're affected, and that's where a lot of females I have come on board, they've never tracked their training, they've never tracked their cycles, so they've never been able to see, am I affected?
0: Yep. So the biggest difference isn't that big of a deal most of the time. No. Yeah. (laughs) So there we go. That's settled. Uh, cool. So what, how should we summarize this, Adam? What's the, what's the summary for... I want to talk about your training real quick before I let you go, but um, how do we summarize what we just talked about for the past 45 minutes? What's the summary?
1: Well, I mean, the whole baseline with this was to, to disprove the need for female training programs. Right. So or for female-specific training programs, there is, there is no need for female-specific training programs. However, I would say there is a need for coaches that understand specific adjustments for female training programs or for training programs that females use
0: there you go it's done it's settled let's talk about your training you want to do uh a cra- you're doing some crazy kind of fucking race right
1: yeah the plan is to do a 50 kilometer or around 30 mile ultra marathon across the mountain range in in wales in july so i've gone from where it's pretty much no running So 50K in about six months, I'll do. And then I'm actually doing things in reverse. So I'm then doing a marathon in September over Snowdonia, Mountain Range. And then in January next year, I'll look to do a a 24-kilometer heavy kind of run rack, which is part of the the SAS, so Special Forces Selection course that they do. Uh, That'll be in the snow. So, yeah, I'm going from no running to (laughs) ultramarathons Months.
0: so wait so this july you're doing the thing in wales then in september you have another thing and then the next january is the the big ass kicker one is that what's going on
1: so the, the, the biggest distance is the first one however but, the hardest terrain and conditions will be this time next year i was due to be doing it in 10 days time but covid kind of screwed that up so i've deferred to to do it. i could do the summer one but it just seemed a bit easy without the snow so uh, <laughs> this guy <laughs> i'm going to do it in the snow and i and i did i'm doing the 50k instead on uh or 30 miles in yeah july
0: that's super cool so you and dan reeves is doing your programming
1: yeah yeah that dude's a maniac when it comes to endurance he was the the first person in the uk to do uh, a decker ironman so an ironman a day for 10 days
0: good christ
1: yeah yeah i I messaged him and just said do you think it's possible to go from no running? And, I, and I've never, other than running the length of a basketball court multiple times in the game, I've never really run. I was like, yeah. can we go from nothing to ultramarathon in six months? You got
0: you got those long damn shanks. You got to drag all over the earth. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Because of the because of the remote nature of the course we're running on, and potentially the mountain ranges, uh, you've also got to carry a ton of kit. So I'm probably going to have maybe 35 pounds worth of pack on because i've got to i've got to carry water a certain amount of food rations emergency clothing all that kind of stuff and and that's the downside of being so bloody big my my clothes are bigger so i've got to carry carry um so yeah so i'll essentially be doing an ultra marathon with a probably a 35 pound pack on
0: so what are you doing right now
1: for training yeah uh I'm currently, last last week, my longest run was eight miles in deep snow because we had snow for the last two weeks. Um, the pack isn't on yet. So my aim, Dan's going to have me at marathon distance in 12 weeks' time. So I'll go from nothing to marathon distance in 16 weeks. That's crazy. Uh, and then I think the pack will probably, I'll have a small pack on during those runs for, uh, for hydration and food. And then the the full pack load will start gradually going on as we near the event. But although I'm running most of this, the event will be more of a run and ruck just because of the, just because of the terrain. Mountains. Yeah. yeah. But That's I'm cool.
0: Yeah. Are you just, are you doing any kind of strength training at all with it? Or is it, what's, are you just running and, and rucking? Uh,
1: lifting three days a week and uh, running at the moment three days.
0: Okay. So that's feasible. So that, like, that's not terrible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the running stuff is a lot of work capacity stuff at the moment, just where yeah. we're building an aerobic base. So, one long run at the moment, a shorter kind of easy recovery run, and then a bit more kind of either interval or pace based running on the other. So, I have one hard run, but it's the shortest distance. Right. Uh, and, I, and I think that'll probably stay similar throughout most of the training. Is it the hardest run or be the shortest, so easiest to recover from?
0: Beautiful, that's super cool. I mean, I'm not well, going to be
1: sprinting up a mountain. I'm not a fucking mountain goat.
0: <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, not your big fucking ass.
1: Like a mountain giraffe.
0: You are like that's it. A mountain giraffe. No, I'm, I want to keep checking in on on how your training's going. I'm interested in you know. There's some carryover to to what I hope these guys do. Not necessarily to that extreme. I mean, some guys are walking twenty. 10 to 20 miles back in to get to where they need to be but it's not like you know we always talk about you know when I have my buddy Steve on or talking to some of the other hunters it's like but there's there's no need to be a hard ass about this you know what I mean like there's you don't have to be a hero just get there don't waste resources don't be silly about it so it's a little bit it's a little bit different than I'm trying to do this as fast as I can you know what I mean
1: a, so one of my clients long time like a good friend of mine she was due to do the, the 24 kilometer um essay the special forces selection a course with me in like 10 days time and she she has Erlose down syndrome so uh, a lot of hypermobility joint degeneration sure um she has some endurance experience in the background open water swimming and some other pieces so we've had her lifting twice a week she does uh a, a long ruck and maybe a short run and if she's not doing it we tend to rotate running with uh hict step ups beautiful um because her body just won't withstand running for longer than say four weeks she's found a training modality one she loves she loves being outdoors and one thing she noticed to me she said the change in her upper body physique from the rucking has been the most significant thing she's ever seen in her training yeah she's just like the, what it's done for kind of her shoulders, her upper back, and just and even how she like takes her daughter with her, like they both love doing it. But just she feels so much stronger in her upper body and the physical changes. <clears throat> she said it just it, it's out of this world. And I was just well for her, we found kind of this really great training method and modality. And she's going to do another one. But just for we you know we obviously we're talking about females here. This, the rucking makes a big difference.
0: It's a sustained tension for like miles or hours, however you want to do it. Even if you have a good pack that puts a lot of the weight on your hips, like your upper body is still bearing tension for a long time.
1: Mm, Yeah, and she's she's loved it, and she's just found that even with the level of this is someone that was told she would be in a wheelchair when I met her in 2012, she was told she'd be in a wheelchair within 18 months. So. You know, in nearly ten years, she's doing ridiculous endurance events, and, and
0: super you know, cool, man.
1: Life and like <clears throat> the the rocking itself made it made, made a huge difference to that. And I think sometimes that with what you do, yeah, people see that as a this, you know a specific element, but not the hardest element. But like, it can make a huge difference, in such a significant impact. Because like yes. you said, the, that that time, that load under tension, that every step you're taking is going to make a huge impact on you.
0: That's the thing, and whereas I see one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they just try to do it do do it too damn heavily all the time. They think the solution is to well, you know, if I'm going to have, uh, you know, an eighty pound moose quarter on my back, well, I need to be rucking with eighty pounds all the time. It's like no, you just need to you need to accumulate the miles. You need to just build. I, the easiest, I guess, the easiest most lay person way to say it is to just build that base of you know, you've done, if you do, you know, a hundred miles a quarter of the year, uh, something like that leading up to where you need to be. And you do that with 25 to 40 pounds on your back. And then you do the other training that you need to do. You'll be able to carry the elk quarter out of the woods.
1: Mm. And, and I would assume that, and you probably spoke about it on another podcast, but like the heaviest stuff you're doing is potentially with the HICT step. That's worst.
0: yep, exactly.
1: Gorgeous.
0: Yep, that's exactly it. I mean, we'll do... We'll do quarter mile intervals. We do a lot of HICT and the quarter mile is like you can make so much progress with just doing that. And I use it as uh, during the summer months, I use it as kind of a progress check and an evaluation too about, you know, are we, are we, if you can do a quarter mile fast with a fair amount of weight, then you don't need to take the fair amount of weight for a long, long, long rock. You just, you adapt to it. So absolutely.
1: I, I guess you can do that. The short to long and long to short approach whereby mm-hmm. you go short with heavy along with light and then you gradually end up bringing
0: them together field. yep that's exactly it it's i mean it's not rocket surgery it's just good you just have to be good about the planning and understand what it's going to take to make the person adapt and then also just not putting them in the trash can in the process which is the problem with most hunting programs and that's why honestly that's why i started human predator pack mule because i was just looking around for something for myself and i was like not to sound like a dick, but none of these fucking people know what they're doing. And it's, <laughs> this is my profession. So I was like, well, I should probably help other folks out. Mm.
1: And I think that's probably the, the same way that I get questions about, I know, what about what about this exercise? Shouldn't we be doing that? And, I, and I'm assuming you're probably getting those people concerned that they're not doing the long rucks with yeah. the pack. And you kind of, like, okay, well, this is where we've got to get that, create that buy-in. We've got to go, okay, well, this is is the journey we're taking you on we're we're gonna start here and this is where we can see those increments exactly and
0: and sometimes you just have to get people's heart rates up high enough for them to believe you that something's working you know and that's just like and we do that we do threshold training we do some other stuff that's just miserable and sucks and there's just no way to get around doing that stuff but it's uh that stuff builds some buy-in you know too but the, the cool thing about you know all of the the hppm uh clients that we've had so far is just everybody's like, just bought in. And I think it's it's been really cool. There hasn't been a lot of uh, the, the tire kicking or asking too many questions about it. It's like, of course I want questions. I want people to understand and, and, and I want them to do things for the right reasons. But it's been cool that most people are like, yeah, let's just, let's kick some ass, man.
1: Mm. And that makes life easy then <clears throat> when other people join. Yeah. You've got this tool of like, just like, don't take my word for it. Like there's a bunch of other people here that are all succeeding they're all kicking ass and like they, they've done this, they bought into it. They've, you know, they, they've done the hard work, the short distances and the, the longer stuff. And yeah, it's, it is, it does help when you've got that kind of back catalog to be able to go, okay, like this is someone pretty similar to you. This is what they went through. This is their experience.
0: Yeah. And, and it doesn't, and it's just like, you know, it often doesn't matter just, just how, you know, that uh, if someone, is the strength coach for a professional team or something like that, or a college team. It honestly doesn't mean they know their ass from a hole in the ground. It really doesn't. But the fact that I train tactical operators lends me some credence in that world. It's like, I know what I'm doing. Sure. But there's a lot of folks that train tactical operators that just have them do stupid fucking CrossFit shit. So it's like, you know, it doesn't always matter, but it does, it just lends some credibility when people hear about that. It's, it's interesting. So.
1: Some people can just kiss the right butthole that's the problem
0: <laughs> they do they butter it up and they lay one on it man i'm with you uh before i let you go i'm gonna ask you a question on air just to put pressure on you uh <laughs> do you want to hunt red deer in scotland with me i yes about it. I'm, i
1: just yes okay (laughs) cool
0: we're gonna do it we're gonna figure it out because i've been i've been wanting to go to red uh scotland to hunt red deer for years and i want to go i want to go and i was like well i'll take that back to scotland i don't fucking know i just know there's red deer there and i want to go hunt them (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) i want to see scotland and i want to hunt red deer let's put them together
1: i'm I'm about 30 30 minute drive from the the lowest point of the scottish border so we can do that
0: we'll figure it out so uh thanks man hey uh before i let you go you know if people want to reach out or follow you or something like that what should they do
1: sure uh instagram i'm underscore adam willis and my easiest best email to get me on is adam at leanbodyperformance.co.uk.
0: awesome hey thanks man i appreciate your time
1: i love coming on all
0: right brother i'll talk to you soon
1: thanks todd